come now this Lord's Day to think about what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross and what we celebrate around this table and to consider the old problem that all mankind has in thinking that my works, my obedience, my righteousness, can we not help out in any way in our own salvation? Here is the firm belief of all false religions. No matter how sophisticated, be they paganism, or be they something high and exalted like the Roman Catholic system, that there must be some contribution that we make to our salvation. That Christ's sacrifice is not enough, but that it must be garnished and adorned with our good works, our obedience, and so forth. For the true believer, Christ's sacrifice will be accompanied by our good works, but not as a cause of our salvation, rather as a consequence of our salvation. We respond in love, not out of fear. And these thoughts came to me as I was preparing a sermon on the subject of some particular aspects of false doctrine of the Roman Catholic system and realized this morning that I needed a few more hours of time to prepare. But these thoughts come thinking about this whole topic of what can we do? What do we do? How ought we to be considering our contribution? And it came in thinking about what happened to Peter that night of the betrayal of the Lord Jesus. For in the Roman Catholic system, there's a constant labor to be right before God. There is no rest. There is no peace with God. To actually have any hope of salvation and entrance into everlasting life, one must listen to the gospel that the scriptures teach, not to the false teachings that man and all of his systems has elaborated in a system that requires any sorts of righteousness of our own as a prerequisite to our salvation. There is nothing that is finished because too much depends on us, which is to say that something, anything depends upon us. Now, poor Peter illustrates this mindset the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed. Peter, of course, seeks what is at base a political savior, a political messiah to vanquish all the foes of his people Israel. And Peter wants to play a part in bringing all of that in, doesn't he? Every king, every victorious king has his retinue, his, his troops, his closest consorts. And this is Peter's notion of himself. He didn't seem to grasp that the Savior must save his people from their sins but as we have said many times, to save us from the sins of those people over there whom we despise and who oppress us so. And you think about how that has invaded the church even in these days, that many people fixate on what's been done wrong to them by other people rather than by what they've done wrong against God. 
which is where the focus of true Christianity must rest. That Christ must save His people from their sins by an offering, not through mortal combat or political victory or public intrigue, as is so often thought to be the solution to all of our problems in these days. And you think about all the people who think now that Elon Musk is the new Savior and really don't understand the nature of evil in this world, the nature of true salvation, which is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this meant that Peter had a notion how he could play a part. How can Peter play a part? Well, he had an idea. Now, being a man of action, his part could not be to pray and wait, because that's not good enough for a man of action, you see. It could not be to run in fear, (laughs) but rather he had to take some powerful action at the crucial point. This was Peter's notion. Let me read a few texts, some of which we read already. In Matthew's Gospel, the 26th chapter, at verse 26, we read those well-known words. How the Lord Jesus, when they were eating, took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Now, this is all sacrificial language that Christ is using here. The idea of blood executing or sealing, invigorating, putting into a force and effect a covenant from God to His people is well known in the history of Israel. And here Christ is stating His intention to be made a sacrifice to execute that new covenant in which our sins are remitted or taken away or not remembered against us anymore. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung in Him, they went out into the Mount of Olives and said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am raised up again, I'll go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that this night before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples, Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very depressed and saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. And then skipping over the prayers of Christ in Gethsemane, we come to verse 47. And while he yet spoke, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same is he. Hold him fast. Forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. 
And Jesus said unto him, Friend, why art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put away again thy sword into its place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? In the same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with thee teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the Scriptures of the prophets should be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And then looking at John chapter 18, at verse 10, we read this. Then Simon Peter having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword unto thy sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Now, in these texts of Scripture, we notice the way in which Peter somehow managed to shift the focus off on himself to rebut what Christ had said, that all of you will forsake me and be offended by me. And Peter said, not so, Lord. I'll never be offended. I'll never forsake you. You see, Peter didn't want to play the part of the prophecy of Zechariah 13. Even though Christ repeated it to his disciples and made it even more clear than the prophecy itself was, as we've preached on many times, the prophecy of Zechariah 13, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Now this was a promise made to Messiah and to the Lord's people. That Messiah would be stricken. Now stricken by what? The Romans? No. Although they helped play a part in it. Jesus made it clear, stricken by God. That he would smite the shepherd and the sheep would be scattered. And of course, this is all consistent with Christ's teaching at the Lord's table that he would be a sacrifice for the remission of the sin of his people. And who is a sacrifice for the remission of sin offered to, but to God? The offended party, the one against whom we've sinned. He's the only one that forgives sins. And he does so for his people by the shed blood of Jesus who made an atonement for our sins by being punished in our place at the hand of God. And God uses His ministers, He uses the rulers who act out their own hatreds and revenge against the Lord Jesus, but nevertheless carry forth and execute what God had foreordained for all time for the saving of His people. But in Zechariah 13, there is this promise that when the shepherd is smitten by God, the sheep will be scattered. And Peter didn't want to play that part in the prophecy. You see how it was just as essential that Peter and the other disciples should flee because they were the sheep of Christ. And when the Lord Jesus was stricken, smitten by God at the hand of mankind, wicked mankind, they were ordained to flee. 
the prophet had foretold it. The text was clear. Jesus reiterated it. But Peter denied that he would play a part in any of that nonsense. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't going to run away. You see, Peter was assigned the part of a sheep to flee in terror. And that really didn't sit well with Peter, being a man of action, or being bold. I'm not going to flee, he said. I'm going to stand and fight. That was his plan. I'm going to stand with Jesus. Even if he goes to death, I'll go down fighting with him. See, Jesus didn't intend to fight his death, did he? He intended to submit to it. As Paul teaches in Philippians 2, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took on himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But that wasn't Peter's idea of how Messiah ought to stand and fight, and he would be right there next to him standing and fighting, or so he thought. You see, he disputed not only the prophet's statement of what must happen, but he refuted Jesus' statement as well. Peter wanted to be one of the sheep of the pasture of God, but not that sort of sheep. Not the sort that really depended upon the protection of the shepherd. Not the sort that was full of fear when the shepherd was attacked. Not the sort that could be driven away by fear when the shepherd was cut down. And that's not the kind of sheep Peter wanted to be. And I suppose that's the conceit that all of us have, that we're somehow better than what the prophet foretold and what Christ ratified, that we would not be that pusillanimous that we don't want to take the metaphor of Christ's sheep referring to his people. We won't press that metaphor that far. We want to be thought of as people with courage and grit and determination. Peter wanted to be the sheep of Christ's pasture, but he didn't want to be that sort of sheep. Not a helpless, scared sheep who couldn't defend himself. Peter had some sort of peculiar notion that Christ's sheep could defend their shepherd from attacks. Think about how foolish that is. You know, the sheep can't defend their shepherd. They run in terror, don't they? But Peter thought that he could defend his shepherd when the time comes. And in resorting to violence, Peter actually sought to destroy the shepherd's saving work at the cross, didn't he? Of course, he didn't realize it at the time because he didn't grasp or believe in the saving work of the shepherd at the cross. In fact, he had opposed it. He had argued against it. He had always opposed the death of the Lord Jesus. Remember he said to Christ when Christ foretold his death, not so, Lord. <laughs> no, may it never be with thee. Whenever Peter was about to put his foot in his mouth, he always disputed what God had told him. You look, there are two or three other instances where he did the same thing, where the Lord had to bring him up short. But Peter had this notion that Christ should not die. You remember what Jesus said in response to him when he objected, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest 
not the things that be of God, but rather the things that be of men. In other words, you have a carnal, fleshly desire that runs contrary to the desire of God Himself that His Son should be made an offering for the sin of His people. And you can't oppose that, Peter, and work against the Lord Jesus. It's not right, it's not proper, and it's a damnable heresy. You remember that Christ repeats this in a gentler way when they're about to take Him away, when they've laid hands on Him. And Peter resorts to violence and starts chopping at people's heads and misses, just lops off an ear. The Lord Jesus healed the man with a touch there. And He told His disciples to put away their swords. And He pointed out that if He really needed defense, He could pray to the Father and He would send Him thousands, tens of thousands of angels for His protection. But then if He did that, how should it be accomplished the things which the Father intended for the saving of His people? How should it be accomplished? The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Shall I not drink it? Well, see, Peter's answer was, no, you shouldn't drink it. Give me that and I'll pour it out over here. I'm against this completely. I'm going to stand up for the shepherd. That was Peter's notion. But you know, if had Peter had his way, then Peter and all of us would be doomed for all eternity in hell if Peter had got his way. Of course, there was never any chance that Peter would get his way. But Peter was trying his best to stop Jesus from being put to death, to stop Jesus from being made a sacrifice, and what a terrible thing that is. And I think all of us in our lives have those cringeworthy moments where we realize that if we had managed to do something that we had set out to do, we would have been cut down or somebody would have been harmed or whatever, and we draw our breath in and we, we think, oh, the Lord really saved me from that. I, I, could have, I could have created some big disaster there if I'd got what I wanted. Well, I'm sure that Peter, for the rest of his life, thought about those kind of things. If he had got what he wanted, if he had got what he was willing to kill for, and almost did kill that poor servant, if he had got what he wanted, then there would be no salvation, you see. If he had managed to defend the Lord Jesus, if he had managed as one of the sheep of Christ's pasture to defend the shepherd from the enemy, why then he would have been forever lost and so would have we. Christ Jesus, though, he does all things well, doesn't he? Whatever it is that Christ sets out to accomplish, he will accomplish. But not Peter and not you and not I. We don't do all things well, but the Lord Jesus did for us. But you know, there was a work laid upon Peter for after the resurrection, wasn't there? There was a work for Peter. He was assigned to feed the sheep of God, to feed Christ's sheep, to feed Christ's lambs. He was made an apostle, a teacher, a leader, a writer of divine scripture, so that he might communicate to the Lord's people the truth about Christ and about his sacrifice. And he was to preach 
the truth of those things that Peter had opposed. <laughs> he had to preach the truth of the things he tried to stop. He had to preach the truth of the attack against the Lord Jesus and how it was meant to be and how it accomplished so great a salvation as he taught to the people of God after the resurrection. The dying of the Lord Jesus, that was what Peter opposed as God's lamb to save God's poor, helpless, and fearful sheep. And think of it, Peter had first-hand knowledge, didn't he? He tried not to be a fearful sheep, but in the end, it says the disciples forsook Christ and fled. The prophecy was fulfilled, no matter how hard Peter tried to avoid it, tried to stave it off, tried to put a stop to it. And then he went and doubled down, didn't he, and denied the Lord Jesus as he sat there around the fire with the people there that night and early morning of Christ's trial. All of his bravado and braggadocia was reduced to reveal a fearful sheep who fled from the danger when his shepherd was struck down. In Peter's denial of the Savior, you see, he was made to face up to the truth that he was only a fearful sheep who fled when the shepherd was struck down. But praise God, in it all, our shepherd conquered all of our foes and all of his. And Peter came to understand this truth. We read in 1 Peter 1, where he says, "Ye are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation, your idle and worthless lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers, but rather we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now you see Peter understands the sacrificial nature of the death of the Lord Jesus, which he tried so hard to put a stop to. He tried so hard to put a stop to it, but now he preaches it as being the basis of the redemption of the salvation of the Lord's people. And then First Peter 2, at the very end of the text, we read this, Who the Lord Jesus, His own self, bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Peter saw in what he had done, you see, as really being a sin. He had fled from the presence of the shepherd in the face of the shepherd's work of salvation for his own sheep. Peter had fled just like the prophet had foretold, just like the Lord Jesus had foretold. And all of us flee from God, don't we? In our sin. That's what it is to go astray, to turn everyone to his own way. It's an act of rebellion, disobedience, and refusal to follow after God's commandments and God's shepherd. But it is the death of Christ for his people and the work of the Holy Ghost in the hearts of His people that restores the sheep. For ye were as sheep who had gone astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your soul. And so it was with Peter. 
that the shepherd he fled from and the shepherd that he tried to fight for and failed miserably was the shepherd that he is subject to who has protected him, who has saved him, and has saved all of his people who put their trust in him and follow after Christ. You know, Christ's death and resurrection takes away the fears of his sheep. No need to flee when the attacks against our shepherd are at an end when he has conquered them, been victorious over them. We cannot be brave on our own, but only through our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the courage, doesn't he? Why? Because he has shown that he is able to fend off all the attacks and turn them for our good by his dying for us. And now we are free and safe to follow after the shepherd. We thank God we were not tested like Peter was, but we see our victorious shepherd ride on in triumph, don't we? At his celebratory table. You see, when Peter celebrated the Lord's table the first time, it was to look forward to the death of the Lord Jesus. And it was looked forward to to the extent that it was even understood in great fear as the sheep ran away from the assault on the shepherd. But now, you see, we don't run away from Christ at the Lord's table. We run to be as close to the shepherd as we can be. For he has defeated all our foes and his. He has taken away our sin. He has made it so that we cannot be judged. We'll not be judged forever because he was judged in our place. We will never again see our shepherd smitten, will we? The strife is o'er as far as the Lord Jesus is concerned with those sorts of attacks against his person. He has defeated death for us, has defeated our sin for us by dying for us. And now we need not fear in the presence of the shepherd. He has done the work that was needed for our salvation, praise God. And around this table, we remember what it was like when the shepherd was smitten, when the sheep fled. And praise God, we don't have to flee anymore if we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as our only hope and protection from our sins, from the wrath of God, from justice, from judgment. Now we have received everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's give thanks for the bread that pictures the body of Christ broken for us. O oh God, our Father, we rejoice that your dear Son was an obedient shepherd who would not flee from the face of his persecutors, but rather he went willingly with them because he knew that it was ordained he should make himself an offering for sin at the hands of violent and wicked men. And we thank you that all your prophecies were fulfilled and that the sheep of Christ fled as it had been told and that it introduces to the disciples and to the apostles a stern rebuke to understand their complete powerlessness in face of the forces of darkness. Only the shepherd has the power to save. And the people, his people cannot contribute anything at all to it, but rather to flee when he is stricken and to be returned to their shepherd 
once the salvation has been robbed. We praise you that we live in a time when the salvation has been finished for us and when we have this feast to remind us of how Jesus laid down his body at the cross to save us from our sins. Thank you for this bread that he left us, a picture of this great victory on his behalf and ours for his poor fearful sheep to come with boldness before your face on account of his body and blood torn and shed for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The scriptures tell us that on the night our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'd like to ask my father if he would give thanks for the cup that pictures the blood of the Lord Jesus shed to make atonement for us. The scriptures tell us that after they had supped, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, drink ye all of it. This cup is the new covenant in my blood for the remission of sin. Do it as often as ye do it in remembrance of me. The scriptures tell us that as often as we eat this bread, and drink this cup we do preach the Lord's death until he comes. Let's sing that old hymn, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. If you don't know the words, you can find them in the Big Blue Book at page 222. But we'll sing it to our other tune that we've learned many years ago. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Let's stand as we sing this hymn.